morning from WMNF Tampa. You're listening to Midpoint, your mid-morning, mid-week, mid-Florida source for news and public affairs from a local perspective. I'm Shelley Reback. This has been a really tough week with so much sadness and strife here and around the world that it becomes difficult to report or to opine on the news without feeling despair. But we go on because it is important to stay informed, stay engaged, and not devolve into apathy and a hopelessness that leads to nothing ever changing or ever getting any better. You know, my friend Nadine Smith of Equality Florida fame posted something on Facebook last night that really spoke to me about this hard week. It was a very poetic tweet by the crypto naturalist, whoever that is, that said, quote, we seldom admit the seductive comfort of hopelessness. It saves us from ambiguity. It has an answer for every question, which is, there is just no point. Hope, on the other hand, is messy. If it might all work out, then we have things to do. We must weather the possibility of happiness. Close quote. I just really appreciated that sentiment. We certainly do have things to do to get it all to work out, especially with regard to gun violence. And we are going to be talking about that with my guests, Gail Powell Cope, who is our local Moms Demand Action Lead, and two gun violence tragedy survivors, Brucey Clay Boonstoppel, whose loss of her son in Ybor City last weekend is so fresh, and Trish Tezas, whose son's death was several years ago, but whose loss is always with her. But before we get to them, as is our custom, let me review a few Florida-centric news stories that stuck out to me this week. The big news last night was out of Ohio, where the voters there enshrined an explicit right to abortion in their state constitution. Ohio is just the latest in a string of states to establish a constitutional right to abortion by popular vote. Ohio voters also approved a ballot measure to legalize the possession and sale of marijuana for people 21 and older. Similar ballot measures supporting abortion rights and cannabis are also being advanced in Florida for the 2024 election. And if the language in these referenda can make it past the Florida Supreme Court, which is now a wholly owned subsidiary of DeSantis, Inc., it suggests that they may significantly help turn out Democrats to vote in the next cycle. Also in Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir, a popular Democrat, won his reelection in his deep red state. Bashir ran on abortion rights and on having led his state through a dark period to a strong post-pandemic economy. And in Virginia, the Democrats retained their majority in the state Senate, depriving Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin the legislative trifecta that would have allowed him to pass a restrictive abortion ban in Virginia. All of these results suggest that Biden may not be as bad off as some recent polls have predicted. Tonight is the third Republican presidential primary debate, and five candidates have qualified to participate. Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott. Of these five candidates who've made it to the Miami stage, the stakes are particularly high for Haley and DeSantis. 
Nikki Haley has enjoyed a significant but not outsized burst of support in recent polling, in part thanks to her previous debate performances. The Haley campaign argues that the former governor is increasingly the top Trump alternative. That may be true, or tonight's debate could yet change the dynamic. A new widely respected Iowa poll this week showed DeSantis losing three percentage points over two months in Iowa, which puts him at an anemic 16%. And he's now tied with Nikki Haley, who jumped 10 points in the Iowa Republican primary. Meanwhile, Trump gained a marginal one point and has 43% support overall. This means neither DeSantis nor Haley are much of a threat in Iowa. DeSantis has spent more time in Iowa than any other candidate, and he's 19 short of completing what's called the full Grassley in homage to Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley's feat of visiting every one of the 99 counties in the state. Despite this intense focus, DeSantis continues to lose momentum in terms of campaign contributions and poll numbers while Trump has kept his lead. Because Trump leads by wide margins in all four early states of the primary, the first in the nation primary in Iowa has assumed outside importance. DeSantis's campaign has identified Iowa as the place he has to win. That would stop Trump from gaining momentum by then carrying New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. No presidential candidate has won all early primary states and then not won his party's nomination. So if Trump can bury DeSantis in Iowa, the race will be functionally over. Then it's only a matter of time before DeSantis is back to menace Floridians as governor again. And as local political pundit Peter Schorsch has said, daddy's coming home drunk and he's going to kick the dog. Finally, we mentioned this on our show before, but it bears repeating. A new proposed Department of Education regulation that purports to control how public universities implement Senate Bill 266, the sweeping set of DeSantis's higher education reforms against diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at Florida universities, among other measures. It seeks to ban universities now from spending public money on any programs that, quote, advocate for diversity, equity, or inclusion, or, and here's the kicker, quote, promote or engage in social activism. The regulation describes social activism as, quote, any activity organized with a purpose of effecting or preventing change to a government policy, action, or function, or any activity intended to achieve a desired result related to social issues, where the university endorses or promotes a position in communications, advertisements, programs, or campus activities, close quote. Social issues are defined as, quote, Topics that polarize or divide society among political, ideological, moral, or religious beliefs or positions or norms, close quote. This regulation is patently unconstitutionally overbroad. How can students petition their government for redress, which is guaranteed by the Constitution, if they aren't allowed to advertise their protest on campus? It would prohibit men and women's bathrooms or engaging in sex or race-based race research, according to the UF Faculty Senate. 
This dangerous regulation needs to be opposed. It would no doubt bar the activities of and even the existence of many student clubs focused on social changes like student Democrats or student chapters of the Federalist Society. It would probably even bar a student chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America because of their focus on social activism to change our gun laws. We're going to hear about that gun sense activism right now from my guest, Gail Powell-Cope, who is the local lead for Moms Demand in Hillsborough and Pasco County. So welcome, Gail. Thank you for having me on the show today. And we'll also hear why that activism is so necessary from my guests, Brucey Clay Boonstoppel. Thanks for being here, Brucey. Thanks for having me. And Trish Tezas. Thank you. Happy to have you here, Trish. (laughs) Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, Both of you have suffered unthinkable tragedy in the loss of your sons to gun violence, and we welcome you both. But before we uh, start our discussion, uh, Jessica, do we have some announcements uh, we have to have to hear before we go on. Support for WMNF comes from listeners like you and the Times Festival of Reading on Saturday, November 11th. The festival brings authors writing about today's compelling topics and most read fiction for discussions about their books. This year, the Times Festival of Reading will be at the Palladium in St. Petersburg. More information at festivalofreading.com. That's one word, festivalofreading.com. All right. Uh, Brucey, your son was a bystander who was shot and killed in Ybor City just last weekend. Your, your loss is so fresh that I was moved by your desire to come on the show and, and to speak out about it so soon. I'm very leery of asking you anything that might increase or exploit your pain about this. So let me just ask you why it was so important to you to speak out now And what do you want people to understand about this terrible tragedy? Well, like most people, you hear about these tragedies all the time now. And um, the gun problem has been real to me for the last 10 years. Um, And I have been in marches and done everything. And so my first reaction when I found out that he was killed by guns was where's my bubble of protection. 18 people were shot. My son passed and he was the only one that passed uh, that was innocent. He had nothing to do with nothing. He had stopped by to see the costumes. Um, he, He didn't go to bars and even if he did, it doesn't matter because Here's people having guns that can just randomly decide shooting and not only shooting because they said they were in fear for their life from an argument. They just shot into this huge crowd of people recklessly. You know, that's um, that's that's a huge problem that there's yeah. such a disregard for life and respect for people, yeah. which it also comes down to is people don't respect people each other anymore. Um, you've seen that. We, As parents, we always talk about um, uh, the, the, the uh, bullying on... Uh, on, the, on the internet, on social media. Yes. And, yeah. it, and I've had a school for 38 years. I've taught thousands of kids. 
And I've seen it. And for years, I mean, it's not brand new. It's been happening, and it can destroy these kids' lives. And I think, again, I like social media, obviously, for the things that you can share that are joyous in your life, and mothers can share beautiful things about their children. And most of my friends, we're we're spread out. We're close friends, but you don't have the ability to do that. So I love that part. But what I don't like is that it's like having a mask on when you say things about other people that have no basis. And even if they had basis, if the child, you know, has, well, like my son wore cochlear. He, he was severe to profound deaf. He had a lot of things he came through. He was like the best athlete physically, but also um, he just came through everything smiling. Like, And we, people- we don't know too much, not too much information's been released or maybe is even known about what the, what the instigation of this particular gunfight was. We, we don't know that. Ironically, um, I found out that my niece was also in Ebor and had gone to that concert that had let out a little bit earlier before the shooting and was around the corner waiting for an Uber when people started running past screaming, shooter, shooter. Um, we don't know, we, we don't really know what, what started it, but we do know that a, no, a number of people were shooting. <laughs> that seems to have been clear uh, from the news reports. And after the shooting in Ebor, Mayor, Mayor Jane Castor said that TPD had 50 police officers in the area. So she says this is not a law enforcement issue. And she blamed uh, the shooting on the proliferation of guns and split-second bad decisions on the outcome, which I think is what you're referring to, Brucey, you know, about people's, uh, you know, carelessness for others. Um, this week, City Council rejected a 1 a.m. curfew on the Ebor bars that Daryl Shaw, the Ebor developer, had suggested be imposed uh, in an op-ed that he published. And other ideas are a youth curfew uh, in Ebor, and I think an ordinance to that effect uh, will be considered soon. And another idea was to keep automobile traffic on 7th Avenue going all night instead of turning it into a pedestrian mall on weekend nights. And the idea apparently is to keep people from gathering in large groups in the street. So let me ask you, Brucey, do you agree with the mayor that it's the easy availability of guns and some split-second bad decisions by people that caused your son uh, to be killed in Ebor last weekend? Or do you think there was something else that law enforcement or the city could have done or should be doing to prevent uh, this kind of terrible result? Well, if you can run faster than a bullet, Mm. police being available is great, but it's so quick. And they say that about every mass shooting that's been going on. So you think about getting rid of the AR-15s because it's not one bullet, one bullet. They went, they, these were handguns, but they, different calibers and just flying, flying into the air. And, you know, people now have been trained to run. But anyway, I agree with her. And I've spoken with the police. And, you know, nobody's happy to have this news. 
everybody wants to help. But they said they had undercover dressed policemen too. But if somebody goes, da 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 da, you know, shooting, even if you're, even if you're uh, two feet away from the people, you've got multiple people shooting, and you can't get to them. Right. So what about you, WMNFers? Do you think there was or is more that can be done by the Tampa uh, police or by the city to protect us from gun violence? Uh, will you be going down to Ebor after these events or are you staying away from Ebor? Um, has any of this uh, local tragedy changed your personal behavior? Give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 813-433-0885. I'm interested in hearing uh, from our listeners as to whether or not uh, this has changed your uh, desire to go down to Ebor or your behavior in any way. Um, I would really like to hear from you about that. Uh, let me turn to you, Trish. Um, it's said that when you lose your parents, you lose your past. But when you lose your child, you lose your future. And you've been living with the loss of your son to gun violence for several years now. And I imagine it, it doesn't ever really get any easier. But do you find that speaking out uh, for sensible gun laws helps you get through it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and as you said, it's, it's a grief that you deal with every day. Um, that when my son was killed in 2016, my life forever changed. And you try to find some way eventually to turn some of that pain into a purpose to prevent another person, another person that's life is just ripped apart and will never be the same. Um, that um, it is. It, it became transformative. It took me some time to do that, but currently, uh, eventually, I became involved with Moms Demand Action. Uh, when my son was killed in 2016, the statistics were 100 Americans were killed every day with a gun. Then it became 110, and now it's 120, and it's probably higher than that since we've seen the last statistics. Um, but you feel like you need to do something to prevent this ever-growing legion of people that are, that are being affected by that every day. Um, so I became involved with moms, uh, and the protests were going on, and students demand action. And, you know, shortly after he died was the, with, uh, the uh, shooting and, uh, at Pulse and then at Parkland, and, you know, the list goes on and on. And you watch the news and you're traumatized every day by watching another grieving mother or a grieving family. Uh, and then also I became involved with Every Town Survivor Network, uh, which is reaches out to anyone who is considered a survivor if they personally experience gun violence, if whether they've been witnessed an act of gun violence, been threatened or wounded by a gun, or had someone they loved and cared about wounded or killed with a gun. So I uh, am a volunteer mentor with that agency as well as do support groups that are done online. So, so you're here for Brucey, aren't you? Absolutely. That's yeah. why I wanted to be here today. Thank well, you. Thank you for being here. You know, um, my son actually lives abroad. His girlfriend is Australian, where they passed very restrictive gun laws in 1996 after their first mass shooting. 
And she refuses to move to Florida because, or anywhere in the United States because of the guns. And I have no argument uh, to give her. Um, listeners, do you find that your own behavior has changed because of the frequency of mass shootings we've been exposed to? Do you worry about being a victim yourself or worry for your kids uh, being a victim of gun violence? Do you avoid crowds or study the exits whenever you are in an enclosed space? I know I do that now. I look around if I'm in a movie theater or, uh, you know, a, a big restaurant with crowds or even a, a grocery store. I look around and I'm conscious of, you know, where the exit space is and, you know, where where the opportunity to, to get out of Dodge is. Um, I'd like to hear from you listeners if, uh, if this is something that you find yourself doing too um, and if it's because of your concerns about uh, gun violence. Um, I want to turn to you, Gail. Um, Gail Powell-Cope is the lead for Hillsborough and Pasco County for Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Uh, Gail, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. I think some people are misinformed about the mission of Moms Demand. Uh, they think you want to like take away everybody's guns. Um, so let me first ask you to tell us about Moms Demand. Tell us what uh, the organization advocates for and what it is and what it isn't. Moms Demand Action was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was formed by Shannon Watts after the um, Sandy Hook massacre. Um, and it's a national organization uh, that advocates for gun uh, let's, gun sense legislation that we know works to curb gun violence. We um, have a gun sense candidate program in which we vet candid candidates for offices all across the country from the local to the national level and um, rate them based on their um, their stance towards guns, gun legislation. And one of the misconceptions about us, I should say, is that First of all, we're 10 million strong across the country. But one of the misconceptions is we're only moms. We're not moms. We're moms and others. We have dads, sisters, brothers. We're non-denominational, non-partisan. And we do have people in our organization that own guns. I have guns in my house that are securely stored. And we're not anti-2A. We want people to be safe. And... Um, so those are some of the things um, that we do. The other two things that we do, um, we have a companion program called Be Smart, which is all about keeping guns out of the hands of people who should not have them, like children, underage children. So the, the educational program is targeted toward parents. And I'm pleased to say that we have that program in the Hillsborough County school system now. Uh, so parents get that information about how to securely store their guns and their ammunition and keep their guns out of the hands of, of people who shouldn't have them, including kids. And we mentioned Survivors Network. That's another big part of what we do at Moms Demand Action. And I'm, I'm very humbled to be here with, with these um, with with Trish and, and Brucey today because survivors are really the heart of what we do in Moms Demand Action. And um, it, it keeps me motivated to keep doing what I'm doing. And the other thing you said, uh, Shelley, that was interesting because I've been thinking about a lot was the hope. 
if if I felt hopeless, which so many people do around gun violence, I couldn't continue doing what I do. But I do believe there's hope from my perspective, you know, from the programs I've told you about. And the other thing before I pause I'd like to say is that there was another um, 14-year-old boy who was killed in Ybor City. His name, Elijah Wilson. And he's from, from East Tampa. And there is a world of hurt in East Tampa from the ravages of gun violence. Um, you know, I don't know what it's like to live in that environment. But there are a lot of people hurting, a lot of people who want the violence to stop in their communities. Um, and, you know, we need to step up to the plate. Yes, thank you for uh, bringing Elijah into the conversation, too. Um, I, I don't want... Uh, I don't want to exclude um, from our discussion the um, the fact that there was more than one person killed in Ebor on that night. And as Brucey pointed out, 18 people uh, were victims of the gun violence last weekend. 18 people. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why I, I really, I, I wonder... Um, and we don't know what precipitated this shooting. We don't, you know, we believe, at least according to news reports, that more than one shooter was involved. Uh, common sense suggests that more than one shooter would have to be involved because it was handguns and not an assault weapon. And to, to you know, to strike 18 people, uh, you know, um, would have to be more than one shooter. Um but I, I noticed that uh, when, I, when I look at the website for Moms Demand, Gail, that um, one of the primary uh, goals of the organization is to get Congress to reinstate the assault weapons ban. But the gun violence in Ebor wasn't inflicted with an assault weapon. It was handguns and apparently several people shooting with handguns. And, and while the result was fewer dead than an assault rifle may have caused, and it seems so, so horrible to be thankful for that under the circumstances that fewer people were killed, fewer people were injured. Um, it's, it's hardly anything to cheer about that so many people were walking around armed on a Saturday night in Ebor. Uh, who then started shooting for reasons we don't, we don't know. Um, we don't even know why they were shooting. And little information has been released by TPD, but I, I have a text message here from uh, a phone number ending in 4203 who says, I'm waiting for the gunman to declare, stand your ground. Um, you know, the, the one charged person uh, who's going to be faced with... Uh, with uh, criminal charges is probably going to raise stand your ground as a as a defense and uh, and you know of course it's not just laws about the guns themselves it's laws that create circumstances where people feel more comfortable with guns and using guns um, feel more protected themselves in the act of using a gun um, so. Uh, you know, I just wonder, um, mom's demand being so focused on assault rifles, this is an example where it wasn't an assault rifle. And, um, and as, as you said, um, you know, so many people are, are hurting and so many people feel they need to be armed in our society today. Um, what, what's your response to that? 
Wow, you said a lot. I don't know which one to respond to. <laughs> well, the, the, the one I'm thing, I, the, the one thing that comes to mind is that when, whenever there's um, a high-profile shooting, people will say. Well, this is why we we don't need an assault weapons ban because the shooting in Ebor wasn't with an assault weapon. Yeah. You know, what people fail to realize is that there are multiple layers and reasons why gun violence occurs. So no one solution is going to eradicate gun violence. Okay, good response. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. No, I mean to that to that point. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we have stand your ground laws, we have uh, you know, um, you know, many other pieces of legislation that focus on the availability of guns. And one of the things that I notice about Moms Demand is an effort to to address gun violence in an incremental way. Mm -hmm. So to advocate for things like education in the schools, education of parents, uh, storage, laws Mm -hmm. about storing guns, for example, that type of thing, laws about bump stocks, uh, which turn semi-automatic weapons into functioning automatic weapons. For example, these incremental pieces of legislation that ideally narrow the availability of weapons of mass destruction mm-hmm. um, in our society. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a couple uh, I have a couple um, messages here that I want to I want to get to um, from Karen. Uh, the message is first to both of you survivors. I'm so sorry for your loss. Yes, I am conscious when I'm in any location in public about my surroundings, and I'm grateful that I'm introverted. I do worry for my children and grandchildren. That's from Karen in Dunedin. Um, Betsy uh, has written to say, I love the show. Hugs to Brucey. Please mention that. Uh, blacks are three times more likely to be shot, even though they are only 12% of the population. Gun violence causes the most deaths for children and for black children. This has been going on for decades. Gun violence, she says, is a racism problem. Um, well, I have a call here from Connie in Tampa. Let's, let me take that call and see if it's uh, who I think it is. Connie, you're on the air. Um, yes, ma'am. Thank you so much, and my deepest condolence to uh, the families there. And I just want to echo what was said about East Tampa, that the gun violence in East Tampa is almost like an ongoing occupation with uh, political leaders being keenly aware but refuse to do anything about it other than press conferences on terms of how people are being arrested. But until we get to the root cause of the poverty, the miseducation, the lack of employment opportunities, we are going to have this continuation, and it's something that adults can do about it. But we've just got to push forward in making political leaders on a local level do the right thing. Thank you. So much. Con- Connie, before you go, do you have any suggestions for what the local political leaders should do uh, to reduce gun violence, particularly in East Tampa? Well, when I look at the number of when I look at people that are being arrested, I, I try to look at their background information. A lot of people are homeless. And then on top of that, they are uh, not employed. 
So if people had a vision of what the future could look like other than being involved in negative behavior, oh, I got to get up and go to, to work in the morning because I'm building mm-hmm. a future for myself and my family, that's a first start. But when we have so many barriers in place that deny employment opportunities generation after generation after generation, the influence of negative culture is going to have an impact, and that's what we are feeling now. Hmm. Okay. I'm glad you called in, Connie, and I thank you for your uh, suggestions. I appreciate I appreciate it. I agree. Uh, yeah, who's talking? Brucey, yeah. sorry. Yeah, you no, agree. No, I, I agree completely. And it, it is the culture that makes us so different. So first of all, we, um, we, we defend the need for guns just to keep that narrative going. And then we ignore the pleas, uh, the pleas from people... Uh, yeah, it's a very racist society, and and it creates more problems. And then they trickle all the guns down to everybody, which makes it all that much more possible. I mean, the fact is, too, with suicides or spouses' disagreements, if they didn't have a gun under their bed, I think <laughs> there's a good chance that that wouldn't happen. So what what happened to protection? It becomes just that furthest thing they can do in anger. Mm. Well, um, you know, I'm curious as to, uh, and maybe you can help me understand this, Gail, who's now behind the fight um, against uh, efforts to pass sensible gun regulations? I I had thought that the NRA was deeply diminished from its heyday. It's lost a lot of its political power. In 2020, the Attorney General of New York State sought a court uh, order to dissolve the NRA alleging a wide variety of financial conduct, misconduct, but that effort was rebuffed by the courts and the NRA was not dissolved. But just in February of this year, uh, a leaked set of NRA financial documents was published that painted yet another dire picture of the NRA finances. Uh, they have decreasing membership revenues. They have expanding legal fees. They have fewer members in 2022 than in any year since 2012. So who's opposing sensible gun regulation now? And why are politicians and Republican politicians, it must be said, still so opposed to gun sense laws? Where, where, what's the power? You know, where, where's the power coming from to... Uh, you know, to induce our, our Republican legislators to be so opposed to sensible gun laws? Well, there is a long history of NRA funding politicians. Um, for instance, in our state, Senator Rubio, who's taken over $3 million from them. So there's a legacy. And the NRA is not dead. It's still alive and still does lobbying. And there's also another group um, that's a trade organization. And I don't want to get the name of it wrong, so I don't want to say it. But um, that is a lobby of the gun manufacturers. And obviously, their interest is in selling guns and making money. And they have been pouring money into um, legislators' pockets across the country. And so I think... It's interesting what you talked about it first, initially, too, about, um, you know, the abortion um, issues. And then I think that gun issues, I don't know, I've never said this before, so I, don't, I hope I say this right, but gun issues 
um, have been used by the right as almost like a calling, you know, to a certain group of Republicans. But I don't think it's all Republicans. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if people who care, whether you're, you know, especially Republicans, need to start standing up and saying, enough. Yeah. We don't want to live like this either. And, you know, talk about sensible gun legislation. Talk about community-based violence um, prevention programs that we know work. Put money there. Yeah, well, you know, last week, just last week, the Democrats in the Florida legislature filed bills that seek to expand the rules regarding the storage of firearms and uh, discharging guns in residential areas. So far, there have been 16 gun-related measures submitted for the 2024 legislative session that begins in January, and all but three of those bills were filed by Democrats. So, uh, you know, as far as your call to Republicans to stand up and start supporting uh, measures for sensible gun regulation, this is, this is the chance, you know. All but three of yeah. these 16 bills uh, have been filed by Democrats. And this is where we need a very big umbrella to weather the possibility of happiness, like from my uh, poetic tweet early in the show, because all signs, uh, sad to say, point to these bills failing to gain any traction in the Florida legislature for the 2024 session. Uh, So what do you think, Gail? Is there hope? Well, if there wasn't hope, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You know, uh, our current legislature in Florida is obviously very Republican, and there, I don't see any, I shouldn't say this, but I don't see any hope for those <laughs> those um, bills that are being brought by the Democrats right now. But that doesn't mean that that can't change, and we need to be more thoughtful about who we're voting for, what their stance is on these uh, bills, watch their records, talk to them, let them know about what that what you want. And I think, you know, if we're seeing it happen with the abortion issue, I think we can see it happen with the gun issue too, as our elected representatives start to hear really what we're saying and as we start to show it when we show up at the at the ballots. At the polls. At yeah. the polls. And there, there's one a couple of things I'd like to mention. Um the 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 bill that we're watching right now in the state of Florida is HB 17, and it's a bill to eliminate the mandatory waiting periods for firearm purchases, which is three days right now until the background check is completed. Well, if you, you buy a gun, you go through the background check, and your background check doesn't, the results don't come back within three days, the, our legis- right now, you have to wait. Our legislature wants to change that so within three days you can have the gun whether or not your background <laughs> check was completed right. or not. Yeah. And that's insanity. And that was mm-hmm. something that was passed after Parkland shooting. Yes. It was a good thing, basically, that then Governor Scott did. And well, now we want to undo it. Well, there's a number of uh, measures that were passed in 2018 after the Parkland shooting that were uh, gun sense regulations that were positive steps toward curbing gun violence. And now DeSantis is campaigning, for example, against the red flag laws that allowed law enforcement to confiscate firearms from individuals who are deemed to be a danger to themselves or others. Those laws were passed after the Parkland shooting. And DeSantis has now said, I don't think you would even need a red flag if somebody has a mental involuntary commitment and adjudication of that would go into the system I don't believe in the idea that government can just take somebody's property and then go through due process later. That's a quote from DeSantis. 
he's also calling for more mental health facilities to hold people with mental health issues. And all of these things he's proposing, like Baker acting people or committing people uh, to mental health facilities where they have to be adjudicated into those uh, facilities, all of those things take time. There's judicial hearings. There's due process. Uh, and, and the red flag laws are designed to allow an immediate reaction to a clear and present immediate danger. And, and he's looking to, to, uh, to basically, uh, you know, take back those kinds of, uh, protections. Um, that's where we are with DeSantis now on those, those measures that were passed in 2018 after the Parkland shooting. Okay. Um, I have a call here from Sister Kelly. I'm going to bring her on to the air. Sister Kelly, thank you for calling in. Thank you so much. Blessings. I think children should be home past uh, certain hours, midnight, for example. Underage children should be home. And um, then we, the Democrats, we need to bring out the, the, the leaders, the ones that are running for, uh, for offices to, to see exactly, to have their agenda against the weapons fabrication in this country. Because that's the reason the, the, the Palestinians are being bombarded because they, they, the Republicans, they, they, they have a high income from weapons, weapons industry. Okay. Well, I want to I focus on your, your call for a youth curfew. Thank you for calling in, Sister Kelly. I appreciate your call. Uh, I want to focus on uh, Sister Kelly's call for a youth curfew because that is apparently uh, an, uh, a measure that uh, is being um, brought before uh, city council in the form of a proposed ordinance uh, that's going to come up uh, apparently soon that the city attorney's office is preparing. And so the public will have an opportunity to weigh in on, on that and, uh, and give their uh, opinions on whether or not a youth curfew in Ybor City uh, or maybe in the entire city of Tampa is a measure that uh, is a good idea or not. I see, I see you shaking your head, Trish. Do you have thoughts about that? Well, there's nothing wrong with a youth cur curfew. I, I mean, I, as a mother, wanted my children home. I don't think, though, that that's the solution to the problem. Sure. That we need to be doing more as far as prevention, working with youth so they see other ways of resolving conflicts rather than, you know, picking up a gun that they probably get from being improperly stored in somebody's car, you know, so safe storage and prevention and working in the heavily impacted communities as far as keeping them forever picking up a gun is, is more of a solution. All right. I've got uh, a message here from Wendy, uh, who I know has been involved with Mom's Demand for a long time. Wendy says, uh, thank you, Shelley, for having Moms Demand volunteers on your show today. It will always amaze me that survivors like Trish and Brucey, who've endured the most horrific kind of loss, turn their grief into action to prevent other parents from suffering the same tragedies. We can't say it more plainly. It's the guns. The U.S. has a gun homicide rate that is 26 times higher than peer nations. Other countries have people with mental illness. 
kids out after curfew, crowds at concerts, etc. But this country gives everyone unfettered access to deadly weapons. And thanks to permitless carry, which went into effect in Florida in July, civilians in the state no longer have to have background checks or training to carry hidden loaded handguns in public. Shootings like the one in Ebor, the one in Maine a few weeks ago, and the gun violence that kills more than 120 people every day in this country. All of this will continue until we elect lawmakers who aren't in the pockets of the gun lobby. In Florida, voters need to elect lawmakers who will protect and strengthen the measures we fought for and put into place after the Parkland shooting in 2018. Like Gail just said, it's about voting. All right. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, really appreciate that. Um, that message and and the clarity that you speak out about uh, it's the guns. It's really it's the guns. Let's it is just the say guns. it right. Yes, it's the guns. Yes. I have a call here from uh, Mary. Let me put Mary on the air. Mary, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I I am just so grateful to these moms, and I'm so sorry for their losses. And I applaud their efforts to go on the air and get the word out and spend their energies and trying to educate. Uh, everyone about the need for uh, gun control, especially in the state of Florida. I don't see it as a racial thing. I think there are so many victims that, of all races. And uh, I just want to help out in their efforts, and I'm glad you have them on the show today. Well, are you involved with Moms Demand, Mary? Yes, I do know about it. Okay, well, thanks for your involvement, too. Uh, thanks for calling in. I have a, a call here from uh, Lenny. Lenny, you're on the air. Hi, well, um, thank you for having this program, and it's the, sorry about the, the tragedy that happened to your guest. Um, we are talking about this on a political uh, issue. I've always been wondering, why are the people who are supporting uh, pro-life, uh, why are they against gun control? Wow, what a great question, Lenny. What a great question. I've always wondered that, too. Um, thanks for sharing it. I uh, appreciate you bringing that to our attention and reminding us of, of that really fundamental question. Thanks for calling in. Uh, you know, there's one bright spot um, in keeping hope alive on gun legislation. Yesterday, the United States Supreme Court heard argument in a case called Rahimi involving a federal law that prohibits people under a domestic violence restraining order from owning firearms. And it looks like from the reports that I've read that the, the Supreme Court just may actually let this particular restriction stand. And this would potentially limit the scope of the court's horrible ruling last year in a case called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Uh, in that case, all gun re restrictions, the court said, had to be analyzed based on a historical understanding of the right to bear arms. That decision raised questions about many existing gun restrictions that gun rights activists say are not anchored in historical traditions around the Second Amendment. But yesterday, even the conservative justices appeared receptive to the Solicitor General's argument 
that the prohibition against people under a domestic violence injunction uh, from possessing guns fits within a long tradition of disarming people who are considered dangerous to society. So it's this is a very significant case yesterday because whatever the court decides in this case will influence the results in a number of other cases that are still pending on their way to the Supreme Court where other gun restrictions have been challenged, like the prohibitions on felons possessing uh, firearms and another uh, law that bars people under 21 from buying firearms. So there's 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 a a degree of hope in that uh, case. Uh, Rahimi yesterday from the uh, the United States Supreme Court, and we'll be following that uh, and looking at the result of that when it comes out with with great interest. I have Christina in St. Pete on the line. Christina, you're on the air. Good morning. Thank you for your show. I just want to make a quick comment. I'd love to hear what you think about that. Um, all of this time and energy and, and all of these resources that the Moms for Liberty organization puts into anti-education practices, such as taking books out of the hands of, of young yeah, The book banners you're talking about. Yes. They're the very banners. different from Moms Demand Action, the Moms <laughs> right. for Liberty. Exactly. And, and just imagine if all this time and energy that the Moms for Liberty, instead of trying to ban books that they put that time into energy into into uh, uniting with the positive mom group and work on gun control imagine well, we well, that's that's a terrific idea, Christina, and a great call to action. So I'm going to challenge all you moms for liberty uh, people out there listening in WMNF land, all two of you, uh, you know, uh, to uh, to join with Moms Demand Action and put all of your extraordinary energy and advocacy into uh, bringing gun sense regulations to our country. Um, I've got a couple things I need to say before we uh, we end the show today. I know that Brucey uh, really wants uh, us to know that uh, her family has started a foundation in Harrison's name, her son's name, the Harrison Bruce Boonstopple Memorial Fund, which is being administered by Community Foundation of Tampa Bay. And so if you are interested in supporting uh, the foundation that Brucey's family has has begun. Go to the Community Foundation of of Tampa Bay. Uh, they're on the web now, and uh, and you can donate to that foundation and and allocate your donation to the Harrison Bruce Boonstopple Memorial Fund. Brucey, tell us very briefly uh, what the fund, uh, what the foundation is is going to focus on. Yes, um, the Memorial Fund will support and partner with organizations focused on the health and safety of our children, whether helping to assure access to medical and mental health care or working towards a future free of gun violence. Our aim is to continue Harrison's legacy in the best possible way and honor his ability to spread happiness to all. So it's about helping our children and there's so many things going on as far as with people talking about mental illness and then if you've got a lot of money I guess you could do more but again all these things are just slowly tearing the souls out of our children and the hopelessness again and yeah it's it's really important and all the monies like I say are going to go to things that help our children um, and then again, 
real quick, the curfew thing is a great idea. It's one piece. We have lots of pieces we have to do. Lots of pieces. It's not about one thing. Oh, well, it won't work. It's everybody and all the people that get shot in church. Should they not go to church? You know, I mean, where, where have we come? Well, I know I speak for everybody in the studio, and, and I'm certain for all the listeners out in WMNF land, too, who, uh, you know, are just so brokenhearted for you and for Trish and for all the survivors of, of gun violence and who appreciate so much uh, that you have stepped forward in your grief uh, to advocate for gun sense regulations, to advocate for these measures that may help uh, stop some of the violence in our society. It, it, it's, a, it's an extraordinary um, thing that you've stepped forward to do that now in your grief, and I know all of us are very grateful for that. Um, that's about all we have time for today on Midpoint, my friends. I want to thank my guest Gail Powell Cope from Moms Demand Action. And Gail, tell people how they can get involved with Moms Demand uh, before we go. It's very easy. All you have to do is text READY or SURVIVOR to 64433. And if I can say real quick, we didn't touch on suicide, which accounts for 63% of mm-hmm. the gun deaths. So just, that's probably another another day, another time. Yeah, but, uh, but I want to make sure that people understand how they can get involved I know that this uh, local shooting has touched so many in our community, and I'm certain that there are people who want to do more, if possible, mm-hmm. uh, to stop the violence. Um, so uh, if you're interested, go to Moms Demand Action and, and get, get involved. I want to thank Brucey Boonstoppel and Trish Tezis for being with us to discuss gun violence in Florida. Um, we're so grateful for your participation. Thank you all for your important views, all of you who called in. Thanks also to my WMNF volunteers, Jessica Green, who runs my soundboard, and today our operations manager, DT, who stopped in to answer phones for us today. We're grateful uh, for his help, too. We recently ended our last fun drive here at WMNF, and we came up a little short of our goal here on Midpoint. And if you appreciate the show I bring you every week, please dig a li- little deeper if if you can, and make a contribution to independent, commercial-free community radio at wmnf.org slash donate. And if you'd direct your donation to MPW for Midpoint Wednesday with Shelley, I'd certainly be very grateful. Uh, now, stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss. We are WMNF Tampa. Power. Come on, come on.